Well, happy Easter. It's great to be together. A special welcome to those of you in the lobby, overflow to those in the Strip District, uh, those watching on Facebook Live, those of you in the room. It's great uh, just to be together to celebrate Easter. And today we are actually going to begin a new series of teachings here at Orchard Hill. We're going to do a series that we're calling Dismissing Jesus, and it ties to Easter, and I'll hopefully show you that in just a few moments. But first, let me give you a story that kind of gives the idea of dismissing Jesus. About 15 years ago, I went to a sporting event, and I was in one of those big stadiums watching a football game, and about 15 rows in front of me was one of my friends and his girlfriend. And I saw him, and so I yelled, and he couldn't hear me, and so I thought, well, okay, I'll uh, try to get his attention. So I pulled out my cell phone. Now, for those of you who are younger, uh, a cell phone 15 years ago to text, you had to hit a button like three times to get a letter, and so it was really annoying to text. So you didn't really text much. It was one of those things where, so, so I looked at it, and I was like, I'm not going to go through all of that. So I called him on my cell phone, and I watched him take the phone out of his pocket, look at the caller ID, show it to his girlfriend, who is now his wife, and put the phone in his pocket and do the wave. Like, nah, I'm not going to talk to him. Now, ever since then, I, I give him a hard time when I talk to him about, oh yeah, remember that time you just waved me off? Like, I caught you. I saw you wave me off. Well, here's what I think is happening, not just in the culture, but even in the church. And that is many are saying, Jesus has some things to say, but I can just pick and choose. I can wave off what I don't care for. And so over these coming weeks, and today, we're going to look at some of the things that, that Jesus had to say that we can easily dismiss and dismiss to our own detriment. Now, the first question that that kind of raises is why should we listen to Jesus at all? There are many influential people who have said great things, and we don't necessarily hold them as if we must do something with them. You could look back over the years and say Billy Graham may have said some great things, or Mother Teresa, or maybe you like certain politicians and you say Jimmy Carter or Ronald Reagan said something, but, but you don't take their words and say it's a big deal if you dismiss part of what they say. But with Jesus, it is a big deal. Because Jesus claimed to have divine origin. Jesus claimed to be divine himself as if he was actually somebody who says, I am God. And then there's this idea that we're here to commemorate and celebrate today of his resurrection. That he went to the grave, died. Not just a boy who had some faint memory as he was close to death about his grandfather and says, you know, the boy from heaven or whatever, but, but was dead, came back to life, and can therefore speak with authority to the things about life and death that matter most. Here's one place in 1 Corinthians where we see this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2 and following. It says, by this gospel... You are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And the way that that's written is written as not myth or legend, but as history. That's the point of saying he appeared to 500, many of whom are still living. In other words, when 1 Corinthians was penned, it was written in a time when people were still alive and somebody could say, did that really happen that that Jesus guy showed up to 500 people at once? This would be like you going to a pens game sitting in the stands and having something miraculous happen in your area of the stands and saying, I saw something incredible happen at the Pens game. Well, if it really happened, the people around you who were at the game could say, yes, that happened. And if it didn't happen, the people around you would say, oh, that, that person's crazy. That didn't actually happen. I, I don't know what they're thinking. And because this was written as history, but not just the Bible, even beyond the Bible, there were sources that talked about Jesus' tomb being empty and the alleged appearances of Jesus. We can say that he came back from the grave to tell us some of the things that are most important. Now, you may say, well, I still think that it might be myth or legend, but the fact of the empty tomb is clear from history, which means you only have a few options. One option is you can say, well, he wasn't really dead. He was just mostly dead. There's a movie with that theme some years ago where Jesus was on the cross and he appeared to be dead, but he wasn't actually dead. The spear threw aside, didn't actually do in his vital organs. And when he got in the, in the tomb with the cool temperatures, his body was resuscitated. He came back kind of from near-death experience, rolled away a massive stone, overtook the guard and presented himself as alive. That's one option. I don't think it's a very good one. Another option is to say, well, the disciples had the wrong tomb. After Jesus' death, they went back and they just literally went to the wrong tomb and they started to believe that Jesus had come back from the dead when in fact he was still dead and in a different tomb. That certainly doesn't account for his post-resurrection appearances. But even more than that, in, in the Bible when it says that a guard was placed there, what that probably is referring to is not a single guard, but probably a battalion of guards. In other words, the, the government of the day was so concerned about an uprising and the disciples and the followers of Jesus that they put people there to guard the tomb. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or, and this probably makes the most sense, you could say that the disciples stole the body. That they simply came along and said, we like the movement, and so we're going to perpetuate this idea that Jesus came back from the dead. Now, besides the problem of the military guard at the tomb, here's the real problem with that. And that is these disciples, most of them died holding to this belief, and they died for the belief. Now, I don't know about you, but when I say something that's borderline true, untrue, and the untruth starts to cost me more than the truth, what do you do? You start to tell the truth. They went to their death saying, no, I believe this. And so we have good reason to say that when Jesus says something, that it has divine origin. And so the, the thing that Jesus says that we're going to look at today is something that's recorded in John chapter 3. And this is 
an encounter Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. Here's what we read in John chapter 3, verses 1 and following. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's known as the Sanhedrin. So here he was. He was a Pharisee, meaning he was a good person. He was part of the elite group of rulers of that society. In other words, he was well-positioned. And we know from John chapter 19 that he was rich as well. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and it says, he came to Jesus at night, probably because he didn't want other people to see him. He didn't want to admit that he was seeking Jesus in any way. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if, it were not with, if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus goes on, he says, well, how can somebody be born when he's old? Can he go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, I'm not really talking about physical birth. And he basically says, I'm talking about a spiritual birth. I'm talking about a conversion. I'm talking about somebody being reborn. And what he says is he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And this is the phrase that I think we tend to dismiss. And the reason I say that is multifaceted. One reason is we don't talk about kingdoms a lot anymore. We kind of know what it is, but it seems like an outdated concept to us. But the truth is you have a kingdom. I have a kingdom. My kingdom is one room inside my house. It's my study. It's the one room where things are as I want them to be, where I get to do everything the way I want. Everywhere else, even in my own house, my kingdom's in conflict with other people's kingdoms. And therefore, I have one place where it's like this part of the house, I can do everything exactly the way that I want it to be. I can have it the way that I want it to be. And what God's kingdom is, is it's where things are as God intended them to be. And what's sometimes hard for us about this, confusing about this to us, is that this has two different facets. One is a future, eternal concept, where the kingdom of God is yet future, and there will come a day when everything will be as God intends it to be. But there's also a current, temporal context of this, where we get a taste of how things should be. But here's the challenge, and that is sin is where things aren't as they should be. And because we live here and now, sin is still in conflict with the kingdom of God. And so we're constantly running into where things aren't as they should be, and yet we long for things as they should be. See, sin is more than simply not living up to a standard or a set of rules or, or ideals that God has. It's where things aren't as they should be. And the longing that we feel when we watch the news and we see an event and we say, how does that happen? Or something in our own lives goes wrong. And we say, I don't know how this could be this way because it shouldn't be this way. Whether you're a person who considers yourself spiritual or not, there's a longing to say, I want to see things as they should be, as God intended to have the kingdom. And here's what Jesus says. He says, if you want to experience the kingdom of God in the future and now, he says, you must be born again. You can't just be spiritual. You can't just be religious. You, you must be born again. And I believe that this is a way that Jesus counters three myths that we have about spirituality, about religion, about 
kind of the kingdom of God, eternal life. The first myth, I'm just simply going to say, is the negotiation myth. And the reason I say this is because what Nicodemus basically does when he comes to Jesus as a Pharisee, as a member of the Jewish ruling council, somebody with money and coming at night is he's basically saying, listen, I thought I had this whole religious thing down. Here's my resume. You seem to be from God. Will this be enough? And what happens for many of us is we tend to think, again, whether we're particularly tied to religion or not, we tend to think that, that whatever God is like, somehow, someday, we'll be able to stand before God, whether it's with our resources, because we've always been able to negotiate with that, or our goodness, or the way that we're positioned, that, that, that somehow God will look at our life and say, we're pretty good. Brad Pitt grew up in a religious home, and he gave an interview a couple years ago to the Hollywood Reporter. And by his own admission, he grew up around faith and kind of the idea of Jesus Christ. And now he would say that he's, this is his own words, 80% agnostic, 20% atheist. And here's what he said in this interview with The Hollywood Reporter. He said about eternity, about the future. He says, you'll either find out or not when you get there. And until then, there's no point of thinking about it. Now, you may think, when you hear that, that, that what Brad Pitt has done is he simply said, I'm just dismissing the idea of, of God. But if you've been alive for the last few years, you've seen the news about Brad Pitt, most likely. And here's what, what's been true about Brad Pitt. He has this family. He married a, a famous lady. They adopted a group of kids. And he would constantly make statements about how his family was the most important thing to him and how he wanted to do right by these kids. Now he's divorced and the kids are kind of going through or in the process of divorce, something like that. But, but, but for him, he was saying, this is what I'm going to have be as it should be. Do you know what else he's been about? in recent days? Philanthropy to the people who are struggling in other parts of the world saying, how can we live with so much and not care about people in other parts of the world? And so he has lived with the sense of saying, I'm going to help make things as they should be for some people. Do you know what Brad Pitt is doing without even acknowledging it? He's trying to negotiate the kingdom of God into his life by saying, my family and my philanthropy, they will be the things that, that will be as they should be, and I'll get the kingdom of God, and then whatever it is in the future, it, 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 my, my life will stand for itself. So you and I can negotiate with God in a lot of different ways. It can either be through all of our goodness or it can be just by simply saying, I don't do any of that, but, but my life will speak for itself. And here's where I try to make things as they should be. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he says, basically, Nicodemus, you can't negotiate with me. You must be born again. That's what he says. So that's one myth. Here's a second myth that, that I think is addressed by Jesus, and that is what I'm just going to call the association myth. And I say that because Nicodemus comes as part of this Sanhedrin, this ruling council, and a Pharisee basically saying, here are my associations. Here's what I'm a part of that, that sets me off, sets me apart. And it's possible that many of us come and our approach to God is to say, well, I come from a good family. My parents believe. I'm part of a good church. I'm in a life group. 
You know, I, I, I'm part of a group of people who don't really do church, but we're spiritual. We're good people. We're not the kinds of people who, who get all hung up in religion and try to use it to, to oppress other people. So we're good people. And again, what does Jesus do? He says, I don't care about your group. I don't care about your associations. You must be born again. Jonathan Haidt, who's a psychology professor at NYU, gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal just two weeks ago. And it was about what's going on on the college campuses. If you followed the news, you've seen things at Middlebury, at um, Yale, at Missouri, at Berkeley, where different people have come to express views. And the student body, kind of in political correctness, says, we don't want this person to speak, even if it requires us to advocate violence in order to keep this person from speaking. And Jonathan Haidt, has basically said, as a professor, he said, this goes against the whole idea of what should be happening in colleges and universities where free speech should be at the center of this. And basically, thought police have now started to say, if you don't agree with us, you can't even come and speak here. And so he started something that he's called Heterodox Academy that advocates for the idea of diversities of viewpoints on college campuses. Now, I don't know enough about this that this is not a recommendation of whatever Jonathan Haidt's about, but what he's basically doing is saying, here's what's happened on college campuses, and that is if you don't hold up to the exact ideology, then you're seen as an outsider and unwelcome. Here's what he said in this Wall Street Journal article. He says, these true believers, talking about believers in, in the political orthodoxy of their group, are transforming the campus from a citadel of intellectual freedom into a holy space. Do you hear it? He says, the college campus has become a holy place where if you don't agree with the pervasive viewpoint, you're an outsider. Now, now what is that? that? That's a group of students saying, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make a place as it should be. And their views may be right, they may not be right. That, that's not my point. But what they're doing is they're saying, be part of our group and we'll make things as they should be. We'll bring the kingdom of God here. Our own version of it. And what Jesus does is he says, you can be part of any group you want, but unless you're born again, you will not experience the kingdom of God. There's one more myth that's kind of addressed here. I'm just going to call this the transactional myth. And I see this because Jesus talks about this idea of this spiritual rebirth. And to be born means that you don't do really anything to bring that about. It happens from outside of you. And what Jesus is probably alluding to ultimately here is that the work of God's Spirit is the work of God's Spirit in bringing people along. But what John does with this, who wrote the Gospel of John, penned it, is he writes in 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, something about this. Here's what he says. He says, No one who is born of God will continue in sin. Because God's seed remains on them, and they cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. So when I say Jesus addresses the transactional myth here, what he's addressing is this belief system that says, you know what, I, I believed something years ago, I had faith, and now I can live any way I want. Because what a new birth communicates is a transformation, a change, something new inside of us. 
And what John talks about when he says, listen, the children of God, the children of the devil, they're obvious because if you're a child of God, if you've been born of God, you can't just go on sinning and sinning and sinning. There's a transformation in your life. It's not some past transaction. Charles Taylor wrote about this in his book, The Secular Age. He said that, that in our age, this is a philosophy book, he's from Canada. He said in, in our age, he said the highest value or one of the highest values is authenticity. And so people aren't concerned about what's right or wrong. What they're concerned about is being true to themselves and saying, saying the only thing that really matters is that I'm true to me and true to what I really believe. Here's how, again, Brad Pitt put this on a more popular level. He says, I have a hard time with morals. All I know is what feels right. What's important to me is being honest about who you are. I struggle with morals. And here's what Brad Pitt's doing. He's taking the, the philosophy that Charles Taylor talks about, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to do what I want, where and how I want, and, and that's what's important to me, that I'm true to myself, nothing else. But you see what John is doing, what Jesus is doing, is they're saying that, that if you've been born again, that there will be such a change in your life that you'll start saying, I'm not just concerned about what's true for me or good for me, but I'm concerned about what God says. Let me put it like this. I have a yard, and in my yard, uh, the crabgrass got away from me last year. And so it overtook a big chunk of my yard. Um, and so I ended up spending the better part of two days on my hands and knees with my boys beside me picking crabgrass out of my grass because it was either that or kill the whole thing and start over. And here's what happens with weeds. When you drive by my yard, you couldn't have seen it. It was cut so that you wouldn't notice it. But if you don't deal with a weed, a single weed, is it soon becomes multiple weeds and soon begins to overtake your yard. And so over the course of some time, I kept thinking, I'll get to that, I'll get to that. And soon the crabgrass began to spread. Now here's what I think John is saying when he says, says that if you're born of God, you won't continue to sin. He's not saying you'll never have a weed. But he's saying you're not going to be okay with your yard being overrun by weeds. Or to put it another way, it's not that you'll never sin, it's that you will not be okay just simply saying, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want. Jesus says you must be born again, you must be changed if you want to experience the kingdom of God. Because otherwise your kingdom is still the kingdom that's in charge, not God's kingdom. And you see, ultimately, if you and I don't experience the new birth, what will happen is one of two things. We'll either become a religious Pharisee, somebody who does goodness and practices religion so that we somehow think we're building a resume, we're part of the right groups, so, so that God will one day look at us and say, you're okay, think we have some transaction in the past that commends us to God, or we'll become a rebel. And when I say a rebel, what, what I mean by that is we'll start to say, you know what, I'm going to live my own way. My resume, whatever it is, is good enough. My groups that I'm part of, we're the real kingdom, and I'm in charge of, of me. But the new birth, crossing from death to life, is that moment where what happens is you take what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and you say, this is for me. 
In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, John again just says that if we believe, we're born of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we're told that whoever receives him, he gives the power to become the, the sons or the children of God. And what that means is that the way that, that you and I experience the new birth is by simply receiving what God has offered to us through Jesus Christ. Now, you can argue the ramifications of this idea of regeneration or a new birth, but if you feel any pull to it and you respond, what John 1 says is then you have the power to become the child of God, to experience a little bit of his kingdom now, still in conflict with the kingdom of sin, your own kingdoms, but live with the assurance that his ultimate kingdom will be a kingdom you can share where everything will be as it should be. So here's what we're going to do as a way just to respond today. The team's going to come back and lead three or four songs of worship. And we'd love for you, if, if you believe, to affirm in your voices and singing. But we're also going to invite you to respond in a visible, tangible way today. Behind me is a bridge. And this bridge is meant to symbolize the passing from, from where we are to new life. And there are different groups of us here. For some, maybe you say, I'm not really sure, but, but maybe today you could just say, you know what, I'll commit to at least investigating this, to, to considering this idea of being born again. I'm not just going to dismiss Jesus out of hand. And maybe you can come up and just walk across that bridge as a way to say, I'm going to investigate. For some, maybe today is your day. Maybe Easter this year is your year to say, I've played on the edges, but I've kind of believed one of these myths that maybe my transaction or my resume or my associations would be enough. And maybe today is your day to say, I'm going to trust what Jesus Christ has done. Or maybe you've believed for a long time. And today is your day just to say, once again, I publicly affirm what I've already believed. I celebrate it by crossing this bridge to demonstrate and publicly affirm my faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to invite you here in this room in the lobby to come. And if you'd come from the left, my right, your left, to the stage and then just make your way across, there'll be some people here. Uh, to assist if you have some, some challenges. Uh, the level that I'm standing on is the same level all the way around the back, so you can come around and get here. From the balcony, you can come down the side stairs and then exit to this side. And if you can, go back to your seats and just join the team in declaring what Easter is all about. That Jesus has provided a way for us to have new life, to share in his kingdom to be born again. Father, we ask today that you would let us celebrate fully what Easter means in new life. And that we wouldn't be satisfied with our own kingdoms, but that we would long for your kingdom. Your kingdom to come in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond with the team and feel free to come forward and cross the bridge as you would like.